Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. What a time this is now, this, this time of the year. It's, it's celebrated Hanukkah, celebrated in, in a certain way. And I, and I hesitate to say how it's celebrated, because actually in the Jewish community, where Jewish people have been scattered all over the world, there were different ways of celebrating Hanukkah, even different foods used to celebrate Hanukkah. Where we may be more familiar with the European approach to Hanukkah, well, there are other approaches uh, among the Jews of Bombay and among the Jews of Iraq, uh, other foods, other ways of approaching it, but certain things were, were uh, very much part of all the celebration, and that had to do with light and oil and celebration uh, of the good things of, of deliverance and victory in a time of battle and conflict. But one thing that's intrigued me and maybe it has intrigues you also is how did they do things in the first century? I mean, we're basically roughly, if my math is correct, 2,000 years away from the first century almost. And how did they do things back then? What was it, what was it like in the first century? We do know that observant Jews, let's say in Yerushalayim, can you say Yerushalayim? Let's say it together, Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, Yerushalayim. Let's try that again, Yerushalayim, Jerusalem. Observant Jews in the first century, they were very meticulous about certain things. And one of those things involved calendar issues, calendar issues. And there were men who were under watchful eyes of the spiritual leadership of the community who were tasked with making sure that the holy days, the holy days were commemorated at the exact right time. I don't know if you caught what I just said because there has been some distraction, but there were men who were tasked with making sure that the holy days were commemorated at the exact right time. I mean, wouldn't it be, can I use the vernacular, wouldn't it be a bummer to, to, to set, think you're celebrating Passover and then fa- to find out that you're a week off or month off <laughs> or Hanukkah and you're way off in the calendar where there were individuals and back they didn't have beautiful calendars that we have now. But they meticulously watched over the times and make sure that the holidays, the holy days, that the hagim, as they're called in Hebrew, were celebrated at the right time. It was very important. And you know, that is a key idea. It's a surprisingly key idea, the idea of the exact time. That's a key idea from Scripture. It's surprisingly so. For example, the concept of an exact right time is mentioned over and over again in Scripture. There are different words that are used, different ways of saying this. And when we apply the the exact right time to God and His nature, I think I can rightfully say, and you would probably agree with this, that I found that He is never late. Have you ever found the Lord to be late? I have not. 
He's not also on our time frame, is he? <laughs> it's his time. He's the one that's in charge. Actually, when you look back at the, the Briah, the creation, you realize he's the one that set time in motion. It was day yom echad, day one. It was yom sheni, day two. Yom shlishi, day three. He's the one that put all that in, in, in flow, in motion there. And I found, and I'm so thankful for this, that he, he's very much on time. When we cry out to him, he knows exactly the right time to respond to our prayers. And not only does he know the right time to respond, blessed be his holy name, he knows the right way to respond. And we have this assurance from the Brit Hadashah, from the new covenant, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He responds accordingly. But first century and even forward from the first century, meticulousness about time was important. And they wanted the exact right time for all the holy days to start on time and to be over on time. And scripture, as I mentioned, often speaks about this. We may even gloss over it as we're reading the scripture and not realize how important the right time is. For example, in Tehillim in Psalm 102, beginning with verse 13, it says this. And, and notice as I read this text, notice how the idea of time is entwined, is interspersed into this. For example, it says from the Tree of Life version, that's where our scriptures will be from today. It says, but you, Adonai, Adonai is the Hebrew way to say, Lord, but you, Adonai, sit enthroned, how long? Forever. <laughs> Your renown is from door to door, from generation to generation. You will arise and have compassion on Sion, on Zion, for it is time to show favor to her. For the appointed, some translations say, the set time has come. For her stones are dear to your servants, and they cherish her dust. Did you catch the references to time there? Several of them about it is time. It's this set time, the appointed time there. And he also talks about the term forever and generation to generation also connected to, you know, time links. And then there's Galatians chapter 4, beginning with verse 4. It says... But when the fullness of time came, the Amplified Version says this interestingly, says, but when in God's plan the proper time had fully come. Now, that's a mouthful for sure. But when the fullness of time came, the Amplified says, but when in God's plan the proper time had fully come, not partially, but fully came. It was the exact right time. It's very comparable to the Tehillim passage in Psalm 102. It says, the set time has come. But when the fullness of time came, God did what? He sent his son. We know him as Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. At the set time, when the fullness of time came, God sent out his son who was born of a woman and born under law to free those under law so we might receive what? Adoption as sons. Boy, that's a good thing to have a set time about, to being adopted into the, the, the family of God, into the community of God. It continues in verse 6 of Galatians chapter 4, and it continues by saying, Now because you are sons, God sent the Ruach, the Spirit. Can you say Ruach? 
Ruach. God sent the Ruach of his son into our hearts who cries out, and this is an untranslated Aramaic slash Hebrew word, who cries out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. And then verse 7, so significant. So you are no longer a slave, but what? A son, a son and a daughter. And if a son, you are also an heir through God. And Acts chapter 1 also speaks about time, the importance of time. And Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 7, it records a post-resurrection. There's a time segment right there, a post-resurrection. After Yeshua's resurrection, it records a post-resurrection talk Yeshua had with his shlichim, with his apostles, with his talmidim, his followers, his uh, disciples, that he had, Yeshua had them with on the Mount of Olives. And here's what it says. It's a very significant passage. Post-resurrection discussion. So when they gathered together, they asked him, and, and, and listen to what the apostles are thinking. They're thinking about a time frame here. They asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? Has that set time come? Is this it? Is this this fullness of time? Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And they must have waited wondering. You know, that brief moment there where the answer was yet to come forward from our blessed Messiah and wondered, how is he going to answer this? Because if he answers and said, yes, this is the set time, that sets this whole other thing in motion. But if he says no, that sets something else in motion. Here's how he responds. He said to them, it is not your place to know the times or seasons which the Father has placed under his own control. <laughs> Isn't that frustrating for you sometimes when to, to not really, I mean, and let's be honest here, this is mishpacha, we're, we're, we're spiritual family. To be honest, sometimes we just don't fully understand what God's doing, and we don't understand all the time why he's doing things. And if you say that you understand why he's doing things, please come up afterwards and pray for me that I might get that same understanding. It is not your place to know the times or seasons which the Father has placed under his own control. And that statement from Maseh Shlichim, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1, dovetails with a statement that had been said just a brief period before, several days before, that's recorded in Matatiao in Matthew chapter 24, beginning with verse 36. And many of you have been poring over the end times scriptures. Is that true? How many have been reading about the end times? Because, you know, we're, we're, we're there. We don't know how far, far down the pike we are, but we are in the end times. There's no doubt about it. The apostles knew they were in the end times, but we're really in the end times. And many have been searching in, in passages like Matthew, Matthew chapter 24 or Mark 13 or Luke 21, looking at what did the Messiah say about the end times. Well, here's an example of something he said. And notice again how time plays into this idea. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son except the Father alone. Verse 37 of Matthew 24 for just as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they did not, and notice this next word, they did not 
understand. The Amplified Version adds the idea of they did not know and understand. They did not understand until the flood came and swept them all away. So shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Yeshua continues in verse 40 and says, Then two men will be in the field, one taken, one left. Now, I think I know what side of that equation you want to be on, don't you? You want to be on the side where the Lord redeems you and pulls you out, one taken and one left. It continues and said, notice initially says two men. Then in verse 41, he talks about two women. It says two women will be grinding at the mill, one taken and one left. And verse 42 perhaps is the gist of this, a real strong point Yeshua makes at that time. says, therefore, stay alert. Stay alert, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. And continue in verse 43, but know this. Notice the word know, K-N-O-W. Know this, have knowledge of this, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what time the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and not let his house be broken into. And there's verse 44 applies this there to them and by application to us. The implication is also to us. So you also must be ready. What must we be? Ready. We must be ready For the Son of Man is coming, and again, it talks about time. The Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, there are many things to talk about in this passage, but I want to emphasize again that the idea of understanding and knowing are often connected. These ideas are often connected with the ideas of time understanding and knowing, knowing what season we live in. Right now, we are in the season of Hanukkah, so it makes sense that we would celebrate Hanukkah. It'd be a little bit, can I use the term weird? A little bit weird if we're in the season of Hanukkah and we're celebrating what? Passover. It'd be a little bit weird. But we are to understand and know the time, the season we're in. And I want to leave you here this morning with five things We must understand and know deep within ourselves this Hanukkah season. Five things we should understand and know deep within ourselves at this Hanukkah season. And can I extrapolate that into during the end time season we're in? Five things we must understand and know deep within ourselves. For example, number one. Number one, we must understand and know that it is better to cooperate with the Lord than to disregard him in our life. It's almost a, a beginning point. We must understand and know that it is better to cooperate with the Lord. We can say in these terms, to yield to the Holy Spirit than to disregard him in our life. And how many agree with that? It's better to serve the Lord. Now, sometimes we can get confused, and our society lends all it can to that, that, that system of confusion to make us think like to serve the Lord is a vain thing, to make us think it's not worthwhile. It's a waste of time and money and effort and energies. But I don't believe God sees it like that. 
He's looking for faithful servants in all those areas. He knows all those areas. He knows exactly how we deal with those things. And I keep going back to a verse, I guess since I've been a believer, which is a long time now, many decades, when I first came to the Lord. I don't want to give away my age here. (laughs) But let me just say it's been over 50 years. But I want to keep going back to this verse that at one time is comforting. It's It's a comforting verse to those who are attempting, and may that be each of us here this morning, who are attempting to yield daily to the Lord and His Spirit. This is a comforting verse, but this same verse then becomes very discomforting to those who choose not to yield to the Lord and prefer instead to do their own thing and follow their own selfish ways. So this one verse is comforting to some, and discomforting to others in this Matatiao, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. And I remember when I first read this verse, how much it impacted me. Because you would think, let me read it first, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he, that person who does the will of my Father in heaven, So it says, it points out that you can say all these words, but your actions need to match those words. And I've met some, have you met some smooth operators that can really speak the speak, but they don't walk the walk as the old colloquialism goes? So this verse, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, went to the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will, my Father. It's a very comforting verse for those here who are trying to serve God, and really daily the Lord is your focus. You're not trying to pull the proverbial wool over God's eyes or anyone else's eyes, including yourself, because self-delusion is one of the worst types of delusion. Self-deception, when you've deceived yourself. You start believing your own lies. So it's a comforting verse if you're really trying to serve the Lord. It's very discomforting if you're trying to do your own thing. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. And here's two, two of five, second one. Things that we, we should, we must understand and know deep within ourselves that this Hanukkah season, and we can extrapolate that into this whole season we're in of life. These end time days, we must know, and I think it's highly important right now, we must know and understand that our victory in life is connected to our faith in Yeshua the Messiah. It's connected to him. This idea is summed up in many passages. In fact, as I was preparing this message, I realized I had to whittle the number of passages down to a a reasonable number of passages that affirm what I just said Point two, we must know and understand that our, faith, our victory is connected to our faith in Yeshua. For example, Romans 8 verse 37 says, But in all these things we are what? We are more than conquerors. But how? Because of our great genius? Because of our great merit? Because of our great strength? Because of our great wisdom? No, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, and I'm so glad it says loved us. Aren't you glad today for the love of our Messiah? I'm so thankful to be in a Messianic Jewish congregation that's Yeshua-centric, that's Bible-oriented, and we know and we actively proclaim the love of the Messiah. 
Romans 8, 37 again. But in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And what about 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14? Here's what it says. Remember, this is Rob Shul, the Pharisee of Pharisees, saying, but thanks be to God, who in Messiah always leads us in triumphal procession. I like that. A victory march. <laughs> we don't always feel that way, do we? Have you had times in your life where you didn't feel very victorious? But the ultimate is that we have victory in Messiah Yeshua. Maybe somebody should write a song called Victory in Jesus or something like that. <laughs> but thanks be to God who who in Messiah always leads us in triumphal procession. And what about 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, where it says, for everyone born of God, guess what? Overcomes the world. And if you're born again of the Spirit, you are an overcomer. Let's start walking like that. Overcomes the world. And then it says this, and it really uh, summarizes point two, and the victory that has overcome the world is this. Our emunah. Can you say emunah? Our faith. And emunah in Hebrew means both faith and guess what? It also means faithfulness. Someone who says they have faith, they will be faithful. If it's a truism, they really have faith. They will be faithful, be faithful in time, faithful with finances, faithful in all the things they should be doing. And the victory that has overcome the world is this, our emunah, our faith. And then there's Revelation chapter 12. And what a chapter Revelation 12 is. You can call that chapter exposing the evil one. Because <laughs> he's listed there in all his different names. But Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, said they overcame him. They over the him here is the devil, the serpent, the, uh, whoever, however you want to call them. Some have uh, called them Slewfoot. I don't know, whatever you want to call them. But they overcame the devil by what? The blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And don't stop reading there, please. Because that last segment, that last clause that's found in this verse is absolutely critical. They overcame the devil. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And that last clause is this. And they did not love their lives even in the face of death. They preferred his life over their own. They preferred to live according to the ways of the Lord over their own ways. Now for number three. A third thing we must know and understand this time of Hanukkah and these end times is that all our sacrifices and labors in the Lord, whether they be small or whether they be great, all our sacrifices and labors in the Lord are important, meaningful, and not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58 says this, Therefore, my dearly loved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, be always excelling, abounding in the work of the Lord. And then it adds this, because you know that your labor in the Lord is what? It's not in vain. 
So my friends here today, if you're doing things in devotion to the Lord as showing an expression of your love to God and your love to his people, your efforts are not in vain. Be they small or be they great. Be they seen or unseen. In fact, it's really much nicer if they're unnoticed, but they are always noticed by God. Therefore, my dearly loved Brethren, be steadfast and movable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Our brothers and sisters who have come up here to exhibit the scrolls to us, thank you for that. I know there are other things you could be doing this week and this weekend, but thank you for this labor of love. And I'm so glad I had the opportunity to see the scrolls up at the Messiah College. At the, I'm so glad that Ted and each of you, thank you for coming, taking your time to be with us, to enrich this congregation, enrich those who would attend and see. But know this, that your labor in the Lord, it's not in vain. You think he doesn't know what's happening? He knows. And how about Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10? Beautiful verse. We need to send this one more often to those who are serving in the community. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love you showed for his name. And then it explains, in having served and having served and continuing to serve. Can you say those three words with me? Continuing to serve. It's not just the past tense. Be careful if your spiritual life is all in the past tense. Your spiritual life should be happening now in the present tense in having served and continuing to serve. And this translates to Kiddushim, the saints, the holy ones. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love that you showed for his name in having served and continuing to serve the Kiddushim, the saints, the Holy One. And here's number four, and there are many more passages to go with each of these. But here's number four. We must also know and we should understand deep within ourselves that the ultimate goal for followers of Yeshua is love coming from a pure heart. And that is loving God and loving one another with a holy love. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 actually says what I just said. I said it with more verbose, but it says, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 says, Now the goal of this command is what? Is love from a pure heart and a clear conscience and a genuine faith, a real, a true, an actual faith. That's the goal. You know, that's God's goal for us. For his people, he desires that we would, we would be people who love him and love one another and that that love would come from where? Come from a pure heart and come from a clear conscience and then also that our faith would be real and genuine. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, Rapshul really commends them and reminds them of this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9 says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you. And there he is writing about it. <laughs> you have no need for anyone to write you. And then it says this, it's a very interesting phrase, for you yourselves are taught by who? Taught by God. To love one another. 
So if there's something happening in your life concerning the a realm of agapeo, ahavat hamashiach, uh, the, the love of God, the love of the Messiah, that's God at work in you, bringing you more and more into that realm. Because as it said, perhaps the simplest definition of God's nature is found in 1 John where it says what? God is love. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And then there's 1 John chapter 4, verse 21, where he writes, and you can read that whole section. 1 John has often been called the love epistle. And this commandment we have from him, this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God <laughs> should also do what? Love his brother. Now, there are some that cop out on this one. They say, well, I really love God. I can't stand him, but I love God. I'm a real lover of God. I'm a very devoted. I really love God. Look at me. Now, I don't want to be around him over there, but I love God. Let me read this to you again to show how, how, how false that is. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should also love God his brother. How many of you feel that's a challenge at times? It is. <laughs> and at this Hanukkah time, this festive season, this festival of lights, as it's called, it really is appropriate that the last and the fifth thing we as believers in Yeshua must know. I think we must know and understand deep within ourselves this fifth thing. We must know it. And it's directly connected to Yeshua himself, this fifth thing. And it's connected to Yeshua himself and to each of us who seek and we're seeking to follow him daily in our lives. Here's the fifth thing that we must know and understand. We must know and understand that Yeshua is the light of the world. Now, that connects well with Hanukkah. He's Or HaOlam. He's the light of the world. But this eternal, this eternal reality that he is the light of the world, it has major implications for all of us who are believers, and I would suggest even those who aren't. There are major implications to this, that Yeshua is the light of the world has major implications for us. And let, let's go back to his original statement in Yohanan in John chapter 8, verse 12, where Yeshua was speaking to them, and he spoke to them again, and he said, I am the light of the world. And then he said this. Please note this. He said, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will no longer walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We can deduce several things from that. But one thing I'd like to mention is that if we find that we're walking more and more in darkness in our life, we realize that's happening, then we have been turning farther and farther away from him who is the light of the world. We shouldn't think when we're doing what's wrong in God's sight that we're walking in the light of the Lord. We sang this morning that wonderful song by Ted Pierce that he wrote, Come House of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord from the book of Isaiah. But notice also 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. So this is a message we have heard from him. This is the message we heard from him, and we're announcing it to you, that God is what? God is light. And in him there is how much darkness? No darkness at all. 
So don't try to put any type of evil thing upon God, anything dark, because he's light and there's no sin in him. Now, you might say, why are you saying that? That's kind of a weird statement. I hear this all the time of people applying evil things to the God of heaven. He's not. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him and we keep walking in the darkness, guess what? We are lying and we do not practice the truth. So you say, I'm walking with God, but you're really walking in darkness? You're actually lying and you're not even practicing the truth. In verse 7, I couldn't leave you with just verse 6. We have to go to verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, seems like an invitation for all of us. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, guess what? We have fellowship with one another. And hallelujah for this next clause, this next statement. And the blood of his son, Yeshua, purifies us from all sin. Are you thankful today for the shed blood of our Lord, for that empty tomb from him who has risen from the dead who is Lord? Are you thankful for him who's risen from the dead, is Lord, and who is coming back at a time we must be dressed in readiness for? I am. The light of the Lord, his holy, pure, and uncompromising light, if you want to describe him like that, it offers us what I could call a hope filled future which scripture triumphantly foretells and I want to leave you with these passages because at this Hanukkah time this Hanukkah time at this can I say it this way at this appointed season that began on the 25th day of the Hebrew calendar month of Kislev it's corresponded to the, the evening of December 7th at this appointed season and this appointed season I don't know what season you're in in your life but most daily lives that we have, we have great blessings and we have great challenges. Maybe even already this morning, as young as this day is, you've had some blessings and you've had some challenges that have come upon you. But at this season, let us do all we can, all that we can to get rid of the ways and the deeds of darkness. Get rid of them. Jettison them from our life. Jettison them so that we can walk all the more in the light of Yeshua, who is the light of the world. He is the true light. He's the light of the world. I leave you with this passage. I'm going to read one more after, but this one, notice Revelation 21, verse 22. We get to the end of the book in the English language Bible. It really is the end of the book in the Revelation. It says, I saw no temple in her. Jerusalem descended. For its temple is Adonai Elohei Tzvaot, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the God of hosts, and the Lamb, verse 23 of Revelation 21. And the city was, has no need for the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God lights it up, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nation shall walk by its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory into it. Its gates shall never be shut by day, for there shall be no night there and they shall bring into it the glory and honor of the nations and nothing 
and nothing and nothing unholy shall ever enter it. What can pass, what unholy thing can pass through the gates of the heavenly Jerusalem? Nothing, nothing, nothing. Don't think that something can pass through the almighty, pure, holy God. And nothing unholy shall ever enter it, nor anyone doing what is detestable or false. Please don't think that we have an exoneration card, a, a get-out-of-jail-free card, so to say. Nor anyone doing what is detestable or fa- false, but only those written in the book of life, the Sefer Chaim, only those written in the book of life. And this last phrase, Sefer Chaim, the book of life, it brings to bear a final question here this morning. It's a final question which only you can answer for you. It's not something you can answer for your neighbor. Even husbands can answer for their wives and wives for husbands, even though a lot of times husbands and wife do answer for one another. <laughs> Finish sentences before they're even done, you know, that type of thing. But this last phrase, it brings this final question to bear. That last phrase, only those written in the book of life shall enter in. How do we get written in the Lamb's book of life? That happens. The heavenly inscriptioner, the heavenly cartographer, however one wants to say, the heavenly calligrapher, when you receive Yeshua as your personal Lord and Savior, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And I'll, I'll suggest to you, and you please ponder this in this Hanukkah season, there is nothing more important for a human being than getting their name written in the Lamb's book of life. Nothing more important. The football scores aren't that important. Your bank account's not that important. Your standing in the community, all that's not important. What's really important is, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? And the only way that can happen is for you to receive Yeshua as your personal Lord and Savior. There's no other way. So glorious is that when a person receives Yeshua, the Messiah, Jesus the Messiah is their personal Lord and Savior. It says that all the angels in heaven rejoice when one's soul is saved. And I hope that they are parting up a storm of all the saints that are coming into the kingdom. All the people being saved in Gaza and being saved in Israel and in Iraq and Indonesia and in Africa and Asia. All the saints... Saints are those who've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, who is the light of the world. If you serve him all the days of your life, he will welcome you. Can I say it like this? He'll welcome you with open arms. Those nail-scarred wrists will be there waiting for you. If you serve him all the days of your life, are you going to serve him all the days of your life? He's waiting for you. For some, you're young and you think, but we don't know what hour, when will be our last breath. We don't know. And he's waiting to welcome you. And you know, glory to his name, he has gone ahead of us and he has prepared a place for those who love him. That beautiful passage in Yohanan in John chapter 14. You can read all the chapter, but I'll just leave you with two verses. Verse 2. 
Yeshua speaking, he says, In my Father's house, there are many mansions, many dwelling places. <laughs> That's an important statement because that means, you know what that means? That if you receive the Lord Yeshua, there's room for you today. Maybe you came in here and you really don't have a personal relationship with him. You're doing your own thing and you're disguising it with religiosity and the outward trappings. But if you really turn your heart to the Lord, there's room for you. There's a place in that heavenly mansion, that place that has many dwelling places. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? Verse 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, <laughs> I will come again. And he is returning, and we don't know when. Some say, well, he can't come to all the prophecies are unfulfilled. Oh, really? You're going to tell God he can't do something? <laughs> are you that high and mighty that you can you know, say, God, you can't do it because I think you didn't fulfill all the prophecies? No, he can come at any time. On a personal level, he can come at any time. Our life is short. I go, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And you know what? I will take you to myself. Can you imagine the heavenly embrace of a Messiah that loves you, who's prepared a place for you, who loves you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may also be. Please pray with me. If you're here today and you have never received the Lord Yeshua as your Messiah, perhaps you're Jewish and you were raised in a Jewish home and, and you know, like most of us do, that that's verboten. But it's not in the kingdom sense. That name is the name above every name. Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah. Here's your day. Now is the day of salvation for you. Perhaps you were raised with churchianity. You never really had a personal relationship with the Lord. Here's, here's the time now to do it. The set time has come for you. This is the day for you. This is not a time to strike up the band. That'll be done in heaven. This is a day for you to humble yourself before the Lord and say, receive me, Lord. I believe in you. You are my personal Lord and Savior, and I want to follow you all the days of my life so I might receive that heavenly welcome from you. This is your time. This is the set time for you. Your time of Yeshua, of salvation. Or perhaps you're here and you've been playing some games and running all over the place, not really following him. You're professing him, but your life's not professing him. Maybe this is a time to put a stop to that. And this Shabbat of Hanukkah, this feast of dedication, is a time to dedicate your life or rededicate it to him. And you know you're not going to hear this type of idea out in the world. They're going to pull you farther and farther away from him. But hear what the Ruach's saying. Now is your time. Receive him into your life. Let's pray. Adon Yeshua, our Lord Yeshua, we praise you for your mercy and goodness. We praise you for your blameless and perfect plan that you have for each one of us. We praise you, Lord, that you truly are almighty. And it's only you that can change our hearts it's only you that can write your Torah 
with your holy pen upon our hearts. Lord, I pray for each person here today, everyone hearing these words, that each person's name will be written in your book, the Sefer Chaim, the Lamb's Book of Life, that there wouldn't be anyone hearing these words who would be found outside of your doors, outside of your gates, in your day of judgment. Thank you, Lord, for this Hanukkah season. We again pray that you will lead many to yourself in Israel, that you will have mercy, grant protection. And we pray also, Lord, that we continue to guard, guard, guide our lives so that we might serve you with fullness of joy on this Hanukkah season. Ask these things in the name of Yeshua. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10.40 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.